Hi, I'm Dan Webster, film critic for Spokane Public Radio and blogger for Spokesman.com. And I'm Mary Pat Truthart, part-time film critic, full-time law professor at Gonzaga University School of Law. And I'm Nathan Weinbender, also a film critic for Spokane Public Radio. And welcome to Movies 101, the show that, as advertised, will seek out great cinema wherever we can find it, and whenever as well. We're still filling out our 2023 watch cards, which is why we'll be talking this week about a trio of films from last year. The first is American Fiction, a satire of modern publishing, among other topics, featuring Jeffrey Wright as a beleaguered novelist-slash-college professor. Following that will be The Iron Claw, featuring an almost unrecognizable Zac Efron as the real-life former pro wrestler Kevin Von Erich. And finally, the Tunisian documentary Four Daughters, which explores the intersection of domestic abuse and Islamic fundamentalism. Let's begin with the novelist who, tired of being rejected, writes what could be referred to as a quote-unquote imaginative autobiography. That novelist is Thelonious Ellison, played by Jeffrey Wright, a college professor and published writer who specializes in crafting novels whose plots are based on ancient Greek texts. You can see how that might make him a hard sell for contemporary publishing houses, but also why he might be perturbed to see his books consigned to a bookstore's African-American studies section. Ellison, or Monk as his family and friends refer to him, is as out of touch with his easily offended students too, as well as somewhat estranged from his family. But he is forced to confront most, if not all, of his personal conflicts when he is asked to take a leave of absence from teaching, during which he experiences a couple of harsh family blows. If all that isn't bad enough, in the midst of seeing his latest literary effort rejected, he has to endure seeing a novel written by a fellow black author achieve critical acclaim despite its being, he believes, an attempt to pander to popular tastes. When he decides to do the same thing, though, first as a joke, he is shocked when his novel, which he first titles My Pathology with an F in place of the TH, he has to find a way to deal with a situation he can't begin to understand. Wright is superb as Monk, equaling the efforts of fellow cast members such as Sterling K. Brown and Tracy Ellis Ross, and writer-director Cord Jefferson uses them well in skillfully adapting Percival Elliott's 2001 novel Erasure. I have not read the novel that American Fiction is no, neither, based ne- on. I don't think any of us yeah, have. No, but I would be really curious to see how this works on the page because I can imagine that it's mix of family drama and really biting satire, which the trailers for this movie pretty much only show the biting satire part and not the family drama part. I imagine it would work better on the page than it does on the screen. It's interesting the to satire, me. satire, you uh, mean. No, the entire mix of genres that Jefferson is going for here. It's interesting that a big chunk of this movie involves Jeffrey Wright's character, Monk, sort of looking on at the critical acclaim of this book written by, in the film, a character played by Issa Rae and just being completely baffled by the acclaim it's getting because I kind of feel the same way toward American fiction. This is getting rapturous reviews. It's probably going to get a bunch of Oscar nominations, including likely for Best Picture. It won the Audience Award at the most recent Toronto International Film Festival, or I guess last year's film festival. And for the most part, I was left really frustrated by this movie. And I think it's mainly because when I look back on American fiction, I think it's because it's just trying to do way too much. And I I sort of understand what they're trying to do here with the family drama stuff, which actually takes up a bulk of the film. Monk goes 
back home to help his mother, played by Leslie Uggams, who is the great you know, Leslie yes, Uggams. Yes, of course. Yes. And she is starting to experience symptoms of Alzheimer's. Then you have the brother, played by Sterling K. Brown, who's just come out of the closet, kind of finding you know himself in his 40s or early 50s. There's also the housekeeper that has been living with this family, because they're actually pretty well off, who suddenly finds love late in life. And all of these stories are going on around him. And it's almost like he can't see the forest for the trees. He doesn't realize that in all of his grousing about how only stereotypical black stories or what he thinks are stereotypical black stories are being given to mainstream audiences, there are these potentially really rich stories happening around him and he just can't see that. And I guess that's supposed to be his arc is that by the end of the film, he sees that. And I guess there is sort of a subtle subversion in kind of telling this sort of Philip Roth-esque story with black characters. But I think it makes for uneasy bedfellows with the literary satire stuff. I mean, this thing is swinging wildly between tones and pitches, which I think is by design. And sometimes that kind of thing really works for me. I mean, how many movies, really out there movies, have I recommended on this show that are doing similar things? Yeah. Yeah. But for whatever reason, American fiction just kind of left me cold, even though I think it does have moments of true brilliance. And there are some really big laughs in this, too. I mean, the trailer did advertise this somewhat correctly and accurately, but I don't know. I've been sitting with it for a while, and the good stuff mostly rises to the top here, and Jeffrey Wright's performance is amongst the best things in this. There's a great scene between him and the Issa Rae character near the end of the movie that I kind of wish the whole film had been more like, where they have a real conversation about these things in a way that I haven't really seen a mainstream American movie tackle in quite that way. So pretty mixed on this. I seem to not be amongst the consensus on this because it is, as I said, getting a lot of praise. So take what well, I'm saying I'm with a grain of salt. I'm also wondering if this could be partially generational because when I've spoken to younger people, especially those in our own family, they had more of the reaction that you had. Hmm. And so I don't understand exactly what that divide might be. Because, of course, I liked American fiction, starts out in this academic setting and shows the best and worst of what that can be, especially in Jeffrey Wright's character, Monk's dealing with his colleagues. I thought that was over the top, but pretty funny. Uh, Shades of the Nicolas Cage movie dream scenario. Exactly. Exactly. But I thought the strength of this movie really was dealing with the family. Exactly. His back and forth with Tracy Ellis Ross in particular just felt so real to me. I mean, at one point he's asking his sister, what do you think of my latest book? And she goes, I thought it was perfect. And he was like, wow. And she said, it just fit under my dining room table and he stopped it from wobbling. And that's exactly what a sibling would say when they're trying to, you know, praise you and get under your skin at the same time. Puncture Um, the ego of somebody. But I agree that it does do a lot and it does do a lot back and forth. And you didn't even mention his love interest. Yeah. Who, of course, I liked because she was a public defender. uh, (laughs) And she, too, was. She's played uh, by Erica Alexander. Right. To try to find her way in the world. So performance is great. Jeffrey Wright, I think, was wonderful because at certain points he has to sort of convey what he's thinking without going too over the top. And I thought he did that effectively. Issa Rae is always great. And I don't know. I mean, taking in what you've said, Nathan, because 
I'm not taking in what Nathan <laughs> had to say at all. Look, well, I, thank you, when, MP, it, I when, it, it. when it comes to American fiction, I don't think that this would have made my top 10 list, but it might have made my honorable mention list. I mean, I agree with everything, well, almost everything that Mary Pat has to say. To me, the strength of the film is the family stuff and all the characters. And neither of you have talked about Sterling K. Brown, the guy who came to fame as a TV actor on This Is Us. Which and, Dan calls the crying show. Well, I call it the crying show, <laughs> just like I call Suits the yelling show. Mm. But he was superb in this film. And it's not often that TV actors jump on the big screen and show that they have the chops to be a big screen actor. He was really good. I think the only problem I had with American fiction is that it cheats a little bit at the ending because yeah. it's we have been privy to stories such as this. James Frey is a great example of what a million points of light, little, I think, a was. A million little pieces. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. Or even J.T. Leroy, which is a famous literary hoax from the late 90s, right, early 2000s. Right, exactly. I mean, in these self-professed memoirs were all proven to be fake or at least largely faked. And there was serious consequences Losing contracts, you know, I mean... Public shaming and, by Oprah in James oh, Fry's case. Exactly. Yeah. But we just skip right over that. See, and I didn't think that this was autobiographical in terms of he was basing everything that happened on himself. I thought that came into play in the marketing and PR aspect of it when he's trying to get a film made. But he was pretending to be Stagger Lee, yeah, yeah. you know, and Stagger Lee is not a real character, and they were passing it off as a real-life memoir. Well, and the ending that you allude to without giving anything away about American fiction, it kind of tries to do this almost, it reminded me a lot of the ending of Charlie Kaufman's adaptation, where it kind of tries to have its cake and eat it too. I think in adaptation, it works really well. In this, uh, less so, even though, again, I appreciated what this movie was trying to do. I appreciated the mix of genres and tones without it ever really clicking for me. And I know mm -hmm. it's clicking for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, but I think for part whatever of the, reason, it, I think part know. of the problem is that you came in thinking it was going to be one thing and it didn't become that. And well, and honestly, and it, I'm kind of glad that it wasn't the thing I thought it was going to be because the jokes in the trailer, it's one joke. And I was worried this was mm -hmm. going to be a one joke satire of things that we had seen done well before, going all the way back to the Robert Downey Sr. film Putney Swope from the 60s, which I think is a better version version of what this movie's trying to do. A trigger part. warning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that the good stuff in this is very good, as you, yeah. as you mentioned, and Jeffrey Wright is among them. Yeah. And that was our discussion of American fiction. This is Movies 101, and it's time to take a short break. Before we go, remember that you can access podcasts of Movies 101 by going online at spokanepublicradio.org. While there, check out the individual reviews that Nathan and I write. Don't do it now, though, because we'll be right back to discuss The Iron Claw and Four Daughters. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. And we're back. This is Movies 101, and I'm your host, Dan Webster. During the first half of the show, Mary Pat Truthart, Nathan Weinbinder, and I discussed American fiction. Let's now move to another couple of 2023 releases, The Iron Claw and Four Daughters. Let's begin with a movie that might have been ripped from the pages of Sports Illustrated. 
or at least from the pages of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, since the Iron Claw attempts to follow the real-life story of the professional wrestling Von Erich family. Written and directed by Sean Durkin, who burst on the filmmaking scene a dozen years ago with the intriguing Martha Marcy May Marlene, the Iron Claw stars Zac Efron as the eldest son of a one-time pro wrestling wannabe champion Fritz Von Erich, whose drive to make his four sons into the champ he never was ends up giving credence to what is rumored to be a family curse. Efron is as far from the kid who starred in the high school musical series as can be imagined, his puffed up and shredded body looking like something out of Steroid Central. But his performance is appropriately muted and fits right in with those put in by the likes of Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson, Holt McAnally, Lily James, and Maura Tierney. Cheesy sports flick the Iron Claw might be, but it's a moving and powerful portrait of family dysfunction as well. Well, I know that in the Webster truth art household, cheesy sports flick is a good thing. thing. Not in my house. It is not my favorite genre. And I'm going to push back a little bit because for me, the Iron Claw is almost the antithesis of a cheesy sports flick because in most inspirational sports movies, the sport itself is sort of shown as the vehicle for the inspiration. It's these people coming together to bring their talents to the field or the rink or whatever. And this is a movie about how the sport of wrestling essentially breaks this family down. At the same time, it's also a film about the tremendous athleticism that this sport requires. And even though, you know, the storylines within professional wrestling are often manufactured, the actual skill that it takes to do this sport are not manufactured. Those skills are very much inherent to these brothers. And I don't think that you've really tapped into this. This story is unremittingly bleak. And if you know that, the details true. of the Von Erichs, the real story is even bleaker than what's portrayed in the movie because the filmmakers have perhaps wisely so taken out certain tragedies that happened to the family. It was almost as if they thought that would be too much for us to handle as an audience. They also removed one of the brothers. Exactly. Yeah. And so I found this to be a very sad and affecting movie, but not a manipulative one, which I was worried it was going to be just knowing how truly sad that the Von Erichs story is. And I want to just talk a little bit more about Zac Efron, because who would have ever thought that this guy would have this kind of dramatic performance in him? I mean, starting as like a teen heartthrob, you know, on the Disney Channel, we saw him as Ted Bundy in that dumb (laughs) Ted Bundy movie. I think he's superb in this movie, and I think he is the heart of the film. And at the very end, he gets this emotional moment because part of the tragedy of the story is that the family never stops to actually deal with the grief that they're desperately trying to process. He finally has that moment at the end. And in a lesser movie, it would have seemed cheesy, as you said, and it feels totally earned to me. So I'm really surprised that Zac Efron hasn't been in the end of the year awards conversation because I think he's that good and it's the kind of physical performance that people like the Academy like to reward. So I don't know if this was just a timing thing because it came out around Christmas and didn't exactly blow up the box office, but I'm a big fan of The Iron Claw. I like it a lot. Because it is sort of a small movie. I mean, it's about this large subject, but really it's the interactions and this sort of course of dealing among everyone in this family that is the heart of the film. And so that's why I would not put it into one of my favorite genres, cheesy sports movies. I think The Iron Claw is really about something quite different. 
And at one point, I mean, the dad is so oppressive. Yes. I mean, you just want to jump out of your seat and give him the iron claw, which is this move that he perfected, which is to grab someone's forehead and squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. But yeah, it's almost improbable that this amount of tragedy would happen to a family such as this. And mom, I mean, Played by Maura Tierney. Yeah, she is excellent, too. And what her role is in this whole family dynamic, I mean, just when you think you've sort of understood what's happening among everyone, then she is sort of a enigma in terms of what her role is or what she's decided to do. The moment, maybe, yeah, a religious oh, the, enigma. Well, the moment with her and the black dress, I don't want to spoil anything, just rips your heart out. I mean, I think she's also very good. Right. And I always like Lily James. I mean, I'm not really sure what her yeah, part was in this movie. Yeah, but she's typecasting. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah, she's become typecast. Okay, but typecast. let's talk about the Zac Efron thing. Because, first of all, he is hardly recognizable. I mean, if you did not know who it was, I'm not sure you would be able to identify him except I read, for those I read blue a, eyes. Yeah. I read a review that said he was a cross between David Cassidy and the Hulk. And that's pretty <laughs> much the way it is. Right. Because he had that jaw reconstruction surgery mm-hmm. after that accident a yep. few years ago. So that changed his appearance. And, then and he has so, muscles upon muscles yeah. upon so muscles. so bulked up here. Yeah. And you just have this sympathy for him throughout yes. this entire movie because no one, except except the Lily James character, seems to appreciate who he is and what he brings And then to. finally his sons. Yes, right. which is the right. moment that, you right. know, that yes. if you're not crying already, well, that'll get you. I think ultimately, though, we have to warn people, this is a sad, oh, yeah. sad movie. But I think a very good one. Yes, I think so, too. And that was our discussion of the Iron Claw. Let's now move to the documentary Four Daughters. Moving from one portrayal of domestic disturbance to another, this Tunisian-made study of a mother and her quartet of daughters is unlike most any other documentary you're likely to see. Focusing on Olfa Hamruni, a divorced mother, and her two youngest daughters, Aya and Taysir, writer-director Kathor Ben-Hanya blends the real-life characters with a cast of actors portraying not just Hamroni herself, but her two oldest daughters, Rama and Gofran, who have fled the family to join a sect of Islamic extremists. The result is an intriguing look at the legacy of patriarchy, religious intolerance, and the lasting effects of both on generation after generation of a culture's essentially indentured women. This film is hard to describe because it is a documentary, and it's not at the same time. So Four Daughters focuses on this family, and some of you might have a vague recollection of Ulfa Hamrani because during the sort of post-Arab Spring era, she was on the international news lamenting the fact that the Tunisian government was allowing her daughters to be spirited away into this fundamentalist extremist group. And so what the filmmaker does here is substitute actresses for the two oldest daughters who have joined ISIS, apparently. And Humrani herself, because supposedly, right. oh, this is going to be too emotional for you. And yet she shows up through the entire movie. Right. The right. Real and so Humrani. what we're trying to figure out here, at least to some extent, is how much of this is catharsis for the real people who went through these traumatic events and how much of it is for our enlightenment, and I'm not going to say entertainment, but so you have these characters, these real-life younger sisters, 
who actually form a bond with the older actresses who are playing their older siblings. And that whole dynamic is just so unusual. It almost strains credulity. But at the same time, you know, you can appreciate everything that's happened in their family dynamic because we've been talking all along about sort of oppressive older parents. And we find out from Alpha that her own childhood was quite traumatic and dramatic. And she's transferred some of that abuse toward her daughters. And this film apparently gives everyone the opportunity to sort of deal with these things that they have not addressed previously. And the two younger daughters, the real-life humans, are just, I thought, arresting in terms of their performances. Yeah, it's interesting that we've got three movies on the show that are kind of all about intergenerational uh, trauma dealings and yeah. trauma yeah. Um, and you know the talk about the family curse and the iron claw I think could apply to both of the other films that we talked about including Four Daughters which I agree is a really interesting experiment it's not unprecedented I mean I was thinking all the way through of Joshua Oppenheimer's films The Act, the of, Act Killing of Killing and of The Look of Silence which are both looking back at atrocities committed being reenacted by the men that committed the atrocities. And here it's slightly different. As you mentioned, there is sort of this almost therapeutic intention. At least that's what they tell us. But at some point, you know, the mother even enters a scene where an actress is playing her and saying, that's not how it happened. Let me show you how it really happened. Mm -hmm. And that's a fascinating thing to see and also a troubling thing to see on so many levels. And, you know, it's also just about the ways that this culture is changing, the ways that the mother and the daughters, the two youngest daughters, both look at issues from completely different angles was also something I wasn't expecting. The other thing is, I mean, this is a very woman-focused film, but there is a man in this particular film, and he plays various parts. So it's the same actor playing these various parts. And so then you're left wondering, is he the fungible man? Is he every man? Like, what is I think there's a commentary there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So this film, Four Daughters, which is now streaming, so you can watch it. It's also at the Magic Lantern. You know, if you're up for it, because it is provocative, I would highly recommend it. Yeah. And that was our discussion of the documentary Four Daughters. Before we close, Mary Pat, do you have a message I have, for us? I have a couple of things to highlight. So we have two annual area film festivals coming up. The Spokane Jewish Film Festival will take place both in person and online beginning Saturday, January 27th. For tickets and scheduling information, go to sajfs.org. Following that will be the Spokane International Film Festival, which begins its eight-day run on Friday, February 9th. For ticket and scheduling information, go to SpokaneFilmFestival.org. Cool. And that's all for this week's edition of Movies 101. I'm your host, Dan Webster. And earlier in the show, Nathan Weinbender, Mary Pat Truthart, and I discussed American fiction, The Iron Claw, and the documentary Four Daughters. Let's take this moment to thank Cassie Fox for both producing and engineering the show. And we thank you to our loyal listeners. We invite you back next week, same time, same spot on the radio dial, when we'll again check out all the best that cinema has to offer, wherever we can find it. Until then, consider these words from Pat Conroy's novel, The Great Santini. They love their families with all their hearts and souls, and they wage war against them to prove it. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio.
The Movies 101 podcast is made possible by the members of Spokane Public Radio. Become a member at spokanepublicradio.org. Thanks for listening to Movies 101.